Hello and welcome to The Hannah Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and The Hannah Hundle Show is a syndicated program. Here on The Hannah Hundle Show, we feature the world's foremost experts for groundbreaking discussion within their respective fields, spanning medicine, science, technology, business, politics, policy, law, and more. Join me, your host, Hannah Hundle, on a mission to unpack and understand how contemporary high-impact issues are being tackled by the world's most influential leaders. For today's episode, I'm happy to bring you an installment in our 2020 U.S. presidential series as we have an interview with Democratic candidate Wayne Messam, the current mayor of Miramar, Florida. Mayor Messam is the president of the National Black Caucus of Local Elected Officials. Before he played football at Florida State University, started his own construction company, and was a city commissioner of Miramar before becoming mayor. We're going to be covering a number of policy issues with Mayor Messam today, as well as having a candid conversation about his electability. Please join me now in welcoming to the program Mayor Messam. So, Mayor Messam, tell me a bit about your intention in entering the race. You know, it's already a crowded Democratic field. What should the voters know about what you bring to the table that's missing right now? Well, what I would say is that uh, I am a mayor, progressive mayor from the state of Florida that many of your um, listeners may not have heard of uh, because I have not necessarily have gotten the same opportunities to be seen or uh, featured um, as some of the other candidates. Uh, but I am uh, the mayor of Miramar, Florida. Miramar is the 13th largest city in the state of Florida. Um, we are solving a lot of progressive issues. Um, we've passed a living wage in my city. We have one of the fastest growing economies in the country. We're beating out China, you know, for um, jobs and corporations deciding to stay in our city instead of leaving for um, China. Um, we recently were successful along with some partner cities in uh, suing the state of Florida to remove uh, some NRA-backed punitive clauses in our state statute that prohibits mayors from across the state from um, having uh, more control of gun safety in our in our cities, um, where the punitive uh, clauses um, called for the governor to remove us from office, personally fined us $5,000, and our cities could be exposed to lawsuits. And we recently won a lawsuit that would remove those punitive clauses. So um, and we banned the box in our city, which means that in the city of Myanmar, um, we eliminate the question that asks if you have been arrested before, because we see that as a discriminatory question that um, basically um, eliminates candidates who may have had a, a prior record from even being considered for jobs. Um, so um, with that uh, accomplishments that are transferable across the country, um, mm -hmm. we see that these type of solutions aren't coming from Washington. And the reason why I'm running is because I'm the son of immigrants. My parents came to this country. My father actually was a sugarcane contractor, a contract a sugarcane cutter from Jamaica that came here doing very hard labor. And then I was born here in this country and he came here chasing the American dream. And I'm living that American dream. You know, I went to Florida State University, was on the national championship team in 1993, student government uh, vice president for Florida State University while I was a starting wide receiver at Florida State. Had a brief stint in the NFL after my NFL career was cut short. I, I became the, we started a, my wife and I started a construction company. We're one of the fastest growing minority construction companies in the state of Florida, creating jobs. And when you combine my experience, uh, my 
life experience of the American dream that my parents was able to achieve, I'm fighting to give Americans a second chance at the American dream because mm-hmm. they very difficult for them to make ends meet. Some Americans have to work two and three jobs. Uh, seniors can't afford a prescription medication. Uh, we have a president right now that is uh, dividing um, our countries, weaponizing race in our in our country, and and there seems to be no stability and direction and, and unity in our nation with um, with uh, with his rhetoric that has really caused an outcry, you know, of um, of protests across this country, and and you know, and the solutions aren't coming from Washington. You know, mayors, we are closest to the people. Um, we don't get a chance to hide behind um, the Washington Beltway. Uh, we have to uh, address and solve our issues. We have to pass a budget. Uh, we have to solve the challenges um, of our communities, and we bring a unique type of relationship. So um, um, I'm very um, excited about this prospects. I was, I did not make the first round of the debates. I just missed um, those debates. Um um, I made two of the three national polls um, where I received at least 1% um, polling um, in those areas, and um, and I'm fighting to try to make the second round of debates. But um, what I would like to share with your listening audience is the question is, well, why didn't you make it? Well, you know, during my campaign, uh, we promised CNN town halls. So we didn't get it. Um, we, oh, we were notified. We were in communication with the producers there that said we would get a town hall. We did not get one. Everyone that got a town hall actually made the debate. Why is that important? That's important because millions of Americans watch those um, those uh, town halls. Uh, it raises your name recognition, especially being a mayor from South Florida. Uh, that that was crucial, you know. And uh, you know, uh, one of my peers actually had an opportunity to get a town hall uh, from uh, South Bend. Uh, he did a very great job at his town hall, and and it really benefited his campaign and it has. Propelled him to be in a position to to have all the resources to run a very viable campaign, but when you compare my life story, you know my city is larger than South Bend. I'm 150,000 residents, perhaps have a larger economy. We're more culturally diverse, and Florida is a must-win state. Indiana is consequent is inconsequential to the electoral college uh, process uh, in terms of you could win it or lose it, and you can still go on to win the presidency. So the question becomes then why not um, have the same opportunity because you can't buy a town hall. You can't earn a town hall. They have to basically just tap you and give it. So, so I just like to bring that awareness. So if your listeners would like to hear more from me in my campaign, they can visit wing for usa.com. That's wing F O R USA.com. Mm-hmm. And what I also share with you is that, well, what do I stand for? Well, I was the first candidate to actually propose the, plan to to um, forgive the $1.5 trillion in outstanding student loan debt, you know, um, and I claim that. Um, subsequently, um, two other candidates have come out, uh, Senator Warren and as well as um, Senator Sanders have come out with plans, but mine is the most aggressive and it, it totally eliminates the student loan, outstanding student loan debts for the 44 million Americans that have it. Uh, we see it as an economic stimulus opportunity bringing $100 billion to the GDP annually, creating over 1.5 million jobs uh, annually. Um, and it frees up about 400 bucks per month um, for um, disposable income that can go into our economy to start a business, to buy a home. Uh, perhaps if you have a student loan at Harvard, it probably free up the um, 
three times as much. Um, so uh, those are the, some of the main stake uh, positions uh, that, that I have. Um, I've been very aggressive on gun control. I've solved these issues here, you know, in my community and wish to bring that leadership to Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd like to talk about some of the policy issues you brought up. You mentioned the issue of the lack of affordability of medication for many seniors. I know that you've stated that Medicare for All is plausible, but you want to preserve the opportunity for choice as well. So what does your vision for expanded health care coverage to Americans look like? Yeah, I believe that um, health care is, is a matter of civil right. I believe every person should have um, access to health care. Um, I think there was, obviously there's a lot of debate about the um, Medicare for All plan. Um, I, I'm not opposed to that. I think, though, that I, I try to be practical in solutions. And the question is, if we have a split Congress, will a Medicare for All plan actually pass or universal health care pass? I'm not, I'm not totally convinced based on the track record and the gridlock in Washington. I do think, however, um, that an expanded Medicare program could be used to cover uninsured Americans. Um, obviously, that would come at a public cost, and uh, we would have to have the political will to cover that cost for the uh, to uninsured Americans. However, uh, but if you have a uh, private plan or an ins- uh, a employer-provided plan um, that you like, you should be able to keep that plan. But if you're not satisfied with those plans, you should be able to bring your premiums over to the government uh, plan. Um, the federal government would obviously need to be in a position to negotiate uh, prescription costs in their plan, as well as um, um, for, um, for 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 medical services um, with the with the insurers and with the with a very strong and competitive uh, public plan that would force competition for the private carriers to reduce their costs as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you and your wife built a construction management company shortly after you were married, and I understand that the company had a climate-conscious business approach. So I'm curious about what you learned from that experience in terms of how business and climate consciousness can coexist and how you would propose we could infuse that same type of climate stewardship ethos into other companies across this country. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, um, uh, myself as well as my uh, wife are both lead accredited professionals. Um, it's the uh, highest designation or uh, designation or accreditation that a construction or um, engineering uh, professional can get in terms of sustainable construction. And we're lead APs with the emphasis of um, um, BD and C, so building, design, and construction for major modernization and new construction. This was back in 2009. This was before it was sexy to talk about, you know, sustainable construction and integrating, um, you know, uh, sustainable practices um, in, in construction. So this isn't something that is a talking point for me. This is a matter of something I've done in my profession have been a part of. In fact, my um, company was a part of the construction management team that built the first lead platinum elementary school in the Southeast United States in Galaxy Elementary in Boynton Beach, um, Florida. Um, so um, obviously being from South Florida, where for us, uh, for the most part, uh, climate change for us means uh, rising sea levels. It means other things in other regions like um, impacts in temperature and crop production, forest fires out in the West. But for us in South Florida, you know, I'm dealing with um, hot temperatures, um, knowing that um, uh, high um, high voltage air conditioning systems here consumes a lot of energy. Um, it's important that 
we incorporate um, high energy efficient um, equipment. Um, so I think by having a conscious of no matter what we do, no matter what we produce, um, all of our activities that we ensure that we have the environment in mind, not to be wasteful. How do we recirculate, recycle, reuse, uh, repurpose um, so that we are not uh, just uh, um, um, wastefully um, expending our natural resources so that we preserve because we have to think about future generations moving forward. And um, I think that um, by addressing climate change, um, it can you can check many boxes. Um, when we incorporate um, climate change and sustainable solutions in our government processes, I'll take infrastructure, for example. If, if we, my priority would be to have an infrastructure bill passed. Um, with the emphasis on projects that's funded by the federal government be on um, projects that will make us more resilient, whether it's to harden our levees, <coughs> excuse me, in our um, uh, dam systems, um, anything um, to strengthen our, our, our canals and stormwater management, um, anything to, to raise our streets so that, um, and for example, in, in, in South Florida and coastal areas that are um, dealing with um, sea level rise and saltwater intrusion uh, that impacts um, groundwater and water supplies, that, that we emphasize, you know, those projects to make our communities more resilient to respond to these weather events and these climate changes. Um, and then it'll um, also put people to work. You know, so you can see how climate change can check more than one box. It can address our infrastructure. It can make us more resilient, and it can put Americans to work as we fortify and make our uh, nation more resilient and addressing a very important need like our infrastructure in America. And that was an interview with 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Mayor Wayne Messam. I really valued today's conversation, and I hope you found it informative, too. You've been listening to The Hannah Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and I thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.